Hey, how's it going, folks? It's Abdullah. And Bean. And welcome back for another episode of Great Moments in Wheat History. Today's Great Moment is actually an event. It started out as a secret that you had to know about to get to it. But now, the secret is out. The secret sesh is essentially a cannabis farmer's market that has been happening on a weekly basis for years. And it's a place where people can go and buy cannabis wholesale directly from the growers. Isn't that right, Bean? Absolutely. The secret sesh is like the inside of the inside of the inside of the smokiest back room of weed culture. It is a place where you will be judged not by the curvature of your brim, but by the (laughs) contents of your Ziploc bag. Yes, indeed. Because unlike a dispensary, at a sesh, you can actually look at the nugs, smell the nugs before buying them. In a lot of cases, you can smoke some of the nugs before buying them. Take that dab before buying some concentrate. And instead of just being a store, it's really become a meeting place, sort of a touch point for the cannabis community where consumers and enthusiasts and cultivators and hash makers can all get together and sort of bond over our collective hobby, which is this plant right here. And our guest today is a person who has been instrumental in the growth of this scene. His name is Adam Ill. If you have ever been to a sesh in Southern California, anywhere in California, you probably know who this guy is by his signature look, his long hair, his glasses, his bright clothes, and his yow! Yo! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we have both been at this game quite a long time. Our collective weed years on this podcast are more than we like to say sometimes, in fact. But Adam is somebody who has been repping this plant for a long time as well. His original podcast is Mm -hmm. maybe the first one, maybe the first podcast fully focused on weed. And he's somebody I think we both love for his just very genuineness. He is a big, big personality, but it really comes from the heart and it really, really comes from a love of this plant. Yeah, absolutely. And he's just a really warm person. You know, this is a person who feels like everyone's best smoking buddy because that's really what he is to this community. Now, I did some reporting on the sessions for KCRW. California's legal cannabis market is set to finish up at around $3.1 billion in sales this year. But the thriving unlicensed market is expected to be much bigger, almost three times as big at an estimated $8.7 billion. A lot of that is being sold in places like this sesh. KCRW's Abdullah Saeed takes us through this warehouse door to find out how everyday Angelinos are buying their weed. It looks like a regular weekend farmer's market, except you won't find organic tomatoes and peaches here. I'm inside a large space filled with 20 to 30 picnic tables, each boasting a variety of cannabis products, buds, hash, edibles, and vape carts for customers to choose from. While the phrase black market elicits visions of shady characters selling illegal goods out of the trunk of a car or the inside of a trench coat, what you'll find at this sesh is an open atmosphere where some people are simply shopping and others are hanging out, smoking, and socializing. Music is booming from the DJ booth 
and food trucks are right out the door for when folks get hungry. When I went and reported that story, everybody I met at the sesh would be like, oh, that's Adam. He's so cool. Nobody gets higher than that guy. And that was sort of the running tag. And I just love that about him. He sort of cultivated this vibe. I'm so glad he got to join us here. I feel like he fits right in with us, huh, Bean? Absolutely. And I, I did not miss that cultivated a vibe. Uh, you got the pun. You get the pun for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're pun fluid on this show, just so everybody knows. Also, <laughs> if you want to catch this wave of hilarity live and in person, please come out to Portland, Oregon on September 10th at 420 p.m. We are going to be at the Helium Comedy Club putting on a live show of great moments in weed history. Cannot wait to do that with you. Yes, seriously, man. This is going to be a good time. We haven't done a live show in quite a while, not since our Jack Herrer episode in Los Angeles at Green Street. Our friends in Portland, we implore you to come out and join us September 10th at the Helium Comedy Club, 4.20 p.m. We're going to put a link to tickets in the show notes. Please grab them. Let's fucking blow this thing out. We really want to see you. We really want to smoke with you. And we really want to get you high on weed history. That's right. You have been officially implored, people. That's right. Hell yeah. And, of course, a huge thank you to everyone currently supporting us on Patreon. You can join the ranks of our Great Moments in Weed History fam by going to greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. Long URL, easy to remember. That's where you can watch a video version of this podcast. You can get a signed copy of my book, How to Smoke Pot Properly. And we are still trying to reach our weedathon goal of 420 patrons it's a humble goal all we want is 420 stoners to say i endorse the preservation of weed history specifically the way these two guys do it and we appreciate every single ounce of support that we get from you and when you support us on patreon we just know that people are out there wanting this kind of content And we're here for it. We're here to make it for you. So please show us that you care about weed history by supporting us on Patreon. Greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And if you don't have the ducats right now, but you still love the show and you want to help us out, please tell your friends about Great Moments in Weed History. We're banned on pretty much every platform They allow us to have accounts, but we really don't get a lot of play with our posts because they're all about weed and they know how much we love weed and they hate weed. They don't want us to talk about it. So please hit up a few friends and be like, you might like this podcast. Let's keep this thing going and growing and glowing. All right. All right. So with that out of the way, I think we're ready to get into our interview I've got a pontone right here filled with delicious live rosin. Uh, this is the fun pen I've got because this is a really fun episode. And I've got the up pen because I am up to have some fun with you. I am up to have some live rosin enter my human body. But if you, dear listener, are in a tizzy, 
because you are not ready to roll. You're not high. And you're like, oh my God, they're going to start without me. And it's a secret session. I don't even know if I'm going to get in. You're going to get in. It's a podcast. You just listen. But if you're not <laughs> high as you would like to be, I have one simple time-tested solution for you. All you have to do is say it with me. Hit pause. Use that time to roll one up, to split a blunt, to pack a bong, to endabulate a dab, or to do as we are about to do and get yourself a pod tone and enjoy some live rosin because whatever path you take up Mount Ganja, I promise you that when you reach that summit and you are ready, we'll be ready for another great moment in weed history. We are here with the one and only LA's very own Adam Ill. Adam, welcome to Great Moments in Weed History. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me, man. We usually start out our interviews with the same question. How did you first get involved with our favorite plant? I first got involved with cannabis because there was a female in my school that I was hanging out with and she was smoking weed and I wanted to hang out with her. So I decided to smoke weed. I didn't feel anything my first time, but you know, being with her and smoking weed made me feel like uh, 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 I had to do it to be cool. So that <laughs> right. was my, that was like the basic first initiation with cannabis. And then, you know, skateboarding in the Valley and growing up in the Valley and being around a lot of cannabis and meeting a lot of new people, new friends. Then uh, uh, I started getting around it a lot more. And just to give uh, our listeners some perspective, what around what years are we talking and what was the weed you were encountering in Los Angeles at that time? The late 1900s, the late 1900s, <laughs> 1990, like what, five, four, five, six era, era. That's the late 1900s, right? Yeah, just about the latest. Back then there was a lot of pretendo. It was like, uh, it wasn't indoor, but it was like, it was good. It was almost what we were calling chronic because chronic was kind of starting to become a thing. And it was like this, this fad and everyone was used to just smoking stress. I used to go to the hood and get those, those ounce bags for a little bit. And it was just full of seeds and I had to clean that and roll up big old hooters. But you know, once I started educating myself and knowing the plant, then, you know, we start figuring out what's good and what's not just like everything else in life with food, with drinks, with munchies, with cars, with life. Yeah, man. It's good to know that you guys were doing the same shit over here on the West Coast, because though we had different names for it, we didn't call it stress or pretendo, but we had all our shitty weed, our like medium shitty weed that we had to work our way through before we got to the good shit today. Yeah. I mean, when you first encounter anything, you don't know what the best is unless you start learning it and getting informed about it. We're talking about a time just before the passage of Prop 215 in California, the first statewide medical cannabis law, right before the first dispensary started to open in Los Angeles and and 
even then, those early dispensaries were often raided. So this is right on the cusp of this huge shift in cannabis culture and consciousness. When did this go from something personal for you to something that you saw as maybe part of your professional life or your persona? I don't know what it was, but I always felt like cannabis helped me in some way. I mean, this is before we had any education about it. It was still, you know, there was negative stigma behind it. We're all lazy, unmotivated. There was so many stereotypes about cannabis consumption. And um, I was a good student. I, you know, was good with the family. I was good with the, with the community. I started consuming it and I felt like it helped me. I didn't know about ADD. I didn't know about my anxiety. I didn't know about all these things. And anytime I consumed cannabis, I just felt relief. I felt a little bit better. First, you know, like all of us, we start buying weed and then, you know, I get an eighth and I sell a couple grams to my friends and make some money. I keep smoking weed. The eighth turns into an ounce, turns into half pounds, pounds. And I'm meeting the growers from the mountain. That was quick. <laughs> the quick progression. <laughs> this was all at this was all at his bar mitzvah. Yeah. 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 So this is like the 90s, you know, late 90s. And then going into, you know, I'm going into high school, like the early 2000s. You start meeting everyone and your network just starts growing. So I started consuming lots and lots of cannabis and helping out my community. I was like a street pharmacist. You know what I'm saying? The, the neighborhood knew about me and no one really, I wasn't like a drug dealer. I didn't have that. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a delicate dude from the Valley. Look, dude, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a <laughs> You're nice pretty, Jew- man. You're too pretty I, for the street. <laughs> I'm a nice Jewish kid. So no one really like, you know, call it white privilege, call it whatever, I, whatever it was. I was always open about my consumption. I've always had this passion for cannabis and I was very fortunate to meet the late, great Jack Herrera early on uh, in my life, who actually sparked this like uh, this this fire under me to just spread the education for cannabis. Well, I'm in college, I'm working, I work for a radio station. I was providing a lot of the, the radio personalities and crew cannabis. You know what I'm saying? I was safe, it was easy, I brought it to work. So I worked in radio for about a decade. It was like a talk radio station. And the demographic was mostly males. It was like 18 or 40 males. And then corporate decided to switch formats and go to like a top 40 station where the demographic became 11 teen year olds. You know what I'm saying? And I being like the station stoner, I was doing like on air things, talking about cannabis, trying to normalize cannabis on FM radio. Like this is, you know, the first time anyone's being open about this. Once the format flipped, podcasts started, right? Like this is 2009 era. This is like when podcasting was new. There weren't really many podcasts out there. And me coming from a talk radio background, um, we, they just asked me, the people that were working at the radio that started this like podcast station to do like a, a cannabis show. So I started the podcast. But at the same time, I was also bud tending at a dispensary. Because right when I got out of radio, I was like, yo, I'm going to sort of dive into cannabis I'm just going to dive in the deep end. I'm going to see what's going on and, and see what this whole community is like instead of just being like a stoner who's just selling weed all the time. So uh, I started interviewing everyone and I was butt tending and I was very fortunate. This is where it comes to Jack Hare. He came in. We just hung out. I spoke to him more than once. Uh, he had a book signing at the shop I was at. So I got to like kind of befriend uh, Jack, which was really cool because he was like, an OG that I looked up to because I was reading books. I was doing research as like a teenager in the late 1900s, early 2000s about cannabis because there wasn't a lot of information about it. He put this like spark in me that made me more passionate about spreading the word of cannabis and, and the benefits of cannabis, not just the 
psychoactive part, but the hemp part of it and how, you know, we use cannabis to to start our civilization, to start society. So, of course, we're talking about the legendary author and activist Jack Herrer, Rhymes with Terror. If you know him from his book, The Emperor Wears No Clothes, or his legacy of creating fired up, passionate activists like our guest today. If you want to know more about him, please check out our episode of Great Moments in Weed History, recorded live in Los Angeles, all about Jack Herrer. Um, But Adam, it sounds like he's got you really fired up to go big in your cannabis journey. How does it go from being a a personality and an advocate and a weed hookup (laughs) to uh, getting into events? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I was at that live taping, by the way. It was uh, awesome to be there and see it live. Uh, He was a great man, dude. He, um, you know, I read his books. He he would talk to me and he would like, you know, look you in your eyes and make sure you're engaged. And I remember he would always tell me to eat more mushrooms, to eat more <laughs> mushrooms. Good advice for It's anybody. good for you. Yeah. You need, it just helps you. It answers questions. Like if you have questions in life, just eat some mushrooms and you'll get your questions answered. Mm-hmm. And, and just like his passion just drove me and having this platform of the podcast, I just wanted to highlight the, the community. I didn't realize that the cannabis community was like that there was an actual community you know i was just a kid from the valley who was smoking weed who was getting it from the plugs and just networking and then i'm learning that you know there were there were people that were paving the way like dennis perone who helped legalize cannabis him and his crew in the bay area shout out to them and um all sorts of growers that ed rosenthal's who've been publishing books and the and the cervantes and all these people and um so having this platform and being able to meet all these people just let me realize how much love people have for this plant and how how lame our government was for making it illegal what 70 years ago like a lifetime not even not even a lifetime ago it's it's kind of crazy how laws and politics just change how we've been living our whole life but i went to some of the cups that were around and they felt like swap meets. There was no like activations for people. It was just like, here's a six foot table. Here's my product. Do you want to buy it? But there was like no one really entertaining or, or educating. It was just talking directly to whoever the was selling whatever product it was. And all the entertainment was like at night. And if you go, if you've ever been to a weed event and you're there <laughs> when the doors open and you're chilling and you're smoking all day and you're in the sun and you're fucking vibing by the time that sun goes down, you're not trying to party anymore. You're like, no, y'all, let me go home. <laughs> let me chill. Let me go get a nice dinner and relax. So I saw this and coming from a radio background and doing live events, I was like, why don't we just set up an activation in the booth? I brought, I was with Cali Connection at the time who had boots at all the cups around the world. I went to the first one in LA. I think it was like 2014 or 13 or something. And uh, I went the first day and it was, nothing was happening. So the next day I just brought a speaker and a mic. I brought the podcast set. Basically we bought a speaker microphones and a mixing board. And I just started doing a live podcast, like a live man on the streets things that I was doing at the radio station. You know what I'm saying? I would just bring people in, interview them, bring people from other boots and interview them. And we started creating like, like a little, instead of people just sitting on the bench, wondering what's happening next, they would congregate around us and we would have conversation and it would be, 
it would be like a vibe. Then we brought like a DJ, we turned into a party. And then I started traveling with Cali Connection from LA to Amsterdam, shout out to Swerve, Michigan, Colorado. We started going everywhere. These cups started going everywhere. And our little speaker podcast stand turned into like, we started getting a little stage, brought a DJ. Then we're bringing big stages and we're throwing complete like concerts throughout the whole day. And um, just educating and, and showing the lifestyle of cannabis and not trying to hide it and be ashamed of consuming it and just being more open about it and, and letting people know the benefits of it. So, Adam, how did this all transition from just the party, the podcast, you know, the congregation to the sesh, the larger event that we're talking about here? Yeah, the secret sesh, man. That's uh, it's it's crazy what it's become, man. We're like we're selling out stadiums now. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, how the sesh conceptualized is while I'm doing my podcast, I started in 2009 and I went till about, I went four years with it, with a co-host. And then, you know, we had some differences. So we decided to split up and I continued doing the podcast, but I called it the Getting High With Show. And what I did is I was doing the show on location and I would go places. There was like a little secret hash bar in the Valley. It was the Headroom Gallery. And it was a, a little lounge that was behind the head shop that was like a secret entrance. No one really knew about it. We had like comedy shows there, uh, events, hash competitions. And I hosted my show there once a week. The manager of the spot, we, uh, we became friends, right? Unfortunately, that venue uh, shut down. And we, we loved the vibe that we created there because we would throw events there. We would just theme it out and we would just basically bring like-minded individuals into a spot. We could just share a moment and people can show off their products and we could just vibe. When that spot ended, we still wanted to create that. So, I mean, a sesh is basically when people get together and smoke. It's called a smoke sesh, right? That's what it is. So um, we just decided to create like a secret sesh where it was like exclusive. It's just our friends invite only. Like when we first started, dude, we were in like garages and apartments in the like in the valley. If our friends were moving out or someone was moving in, we would we would call our boys that had all sorts of products. And, um, you know, we'd have like four or five people come with their product, be it hash, edibles, weed whatever it is. And then we would bring our friends and we'd be able to shop and get our things and hang out and vibe and smoke and chill. You know, the word started spreading. So we went from like garages and apartments. Then we started uh, getting houses in like the hills before Airbnb was a thing. <laughs> this is like 2000, when like 2012, 13. This is when we kind of started the little sessions. The word started spreading. We created, we started email lists. The social media, Instagram started becoming a huge thing. So we started uh, growing our venue out until we found our club in LA that we were at for like three years. And every Sunday, we basically had a weed party where we would bring a bunch of vendors from around that would be able to showcase their product. And then I would host the stage and create uh, a whole create a whole experience for people. This trajectory that you're describing from from the earliest days uh, up until this point, it, it really, you know, it reminds me of so many music scenes that start out, can't even find a place to perform. Very, very small, tight-knit group of people who are true believers in uh, whatever it is they're into, and then it will grow until it completely mainstreams. The, the difference with weed is on the one level, even if it's uh, legal uh, to have an ounce in your pocket, you know, I, I don't want to shock anybody, but I think some of the people 
involved in those secret sashes, they were secret for a reason. You know, not every law was probably. <laughs> oh, we were. There was fear. <laughs> like, there was fear of getting raided, feds coming in, who would show up, you know, robbed, all that stuff. Because there was a lot of product, a lot of money on, on the location. But, you know, we had we had security. We ha- just had it was a secret. So we filtered out who would come. And who would be able to, uh, you know, enter the building. And in doing that, how exactly are you filtering those people out, right? Because we all know <laughs> that, you know, like, in this world, right, of course, I think that personal reference is incredibly important, right? But you have shown a really clean track record when it comes to belligerence at a totally underground event, right? And I think that's actually something remarkable and something we got to highlight because is it just, oh, your homies tell your homies or is it just that cannabis people are less likely to get belligerent in this type of situation? Yeah, there's, I mean, you know, you guys have experience. There's less fights when people are high. No one's really trying to get super active and violent when they're when everyone's high. Cannabis just kind of puts that little, like, let's just chill out, dude. Relax, mm-hmm. bro. So, I mean, you know, fortunate we haven't encountered any anything crazy in 10 years bro you know there, there might have been people that might have seen each other don't like each other but we are easily to dissolve those real quick and um you know when you're when you're open and now we're public now it's a public you know business now it's legal we're on the compliance side so now anyone can enter uh it's just like anything else but it's just about the people the the people you bring the value attract because you know when we started the secret test we were kind of like the only one and then you know, after we've been doing it, there's been a lot of copycats and we've seen uh, there's been shootings at some of those robberies. There's been a whole bunch because, you know, people just try to do it and they don't understand all the ingredients that are that are required to create a great uh, recipe. And going, going back to some of the early days, this is like the equivalent of seeing the Ramones and Patti Smith and Talking Heads all on the same bill at CBGB's. Chill, yeah. chill, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't mean that long ago in history. No, I no, mean, I'm just like, saying, like, that's legendary. It's crazy to think about because <laughs> I never thought, you know, while doing these, it was just like, yo, we're just doing this weekly event in LA, but not understanding, like, Sometimes when I was on the stage and I'm looking out and there's 2000 people just chilling, they're all like, you know, flat brim pins in their hat, pendies, shirts. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, little, like, looking, looking like we're all created a whole cu- culture, bro. It's just crazy. And then when we have, you know, musicians and celebrities hitting us up to come and hang out at these uh, events is even crazier. Like we have Ray Shremmerd pulling up and the whole DPG, you know, uh, uh, corrupt and Daz coming and performing it's just it's just crazy to think about and now it's just like a national thing we've been in multiple states and people want us to go to different countries this thing really blows up right and it's it's people generally speaking with prop 215 legitimate medical wrecks who are coming into this place you have to have a wreck to come in yes right you have to have a wreck to come in we were super compliant we were very like you know reckon id we had checked them we had someone that actually went through we would pre-verify through emails like it was a whole process to get into this so people that were like weren't down with that wouldn't come like that's too much paperwork too much process like getting submitted sending in my actual we had id like send us your id and your rent so we knew who you were coming into this and we identified everybody and that happened for like the first couple years until you know 
until Prop 64 was passed, right? <laughs> Prop 64 is the adult use recreational cannabis law here in California. Essentially, it outmoded the medical cannabis law, Prop 215. So suddenly all those recs, all of those prescriptions uh, didn't matter anymore, like according to the state. And all of those vendors, instead of being compliant caregivers, right, were suddenly black market growers. It changed everything. Can you tell us what that was like, you know, when you saw this happening, what did you think it was going to do to your event? Well, it fucked our event up. I mean, 2018 is when they enforced, like, uh, the Prop 64, and people didn't know what to do. We didn't know if we were going to, you know, get raided because, you know, we were, we were known. We're already, like, six, seven years with this event. So it's become, like, a weekly thing. We have our venue. Um, some vendors don't want to, you know, didn't want to pull up anymore. But it also created a whole lot of trappers now because there's a lot of people that can't afford compliant weed dude with the taxes and everything and the quality. And when you go to these sessions and you get ounces for like a hundred bucks, 80 bucks, you get grams for like $10 of, of hash. People are like, why am I going to go to the store? So uh, it started creating a lot of other sessions that started forming. But I remember 2018, we, we changed it because now it was legal. So we're like, I guess anyone can come in now. It's not like, medical anymore if if anyone wants to come in they can because if you're over 21 technically you're allowed to buy it and consume it and then 2019 i think we threw our first legal secret sesh with compliant brands and pos and i think it was one of the first events where it was a b2c like business to consumer direct where you could purchase on location legally and consume there legally I think we did it in Adelanto for the first legal one at the mm -hmm. baseball stadium. Uh, we had the stage there. We had performers. We had a bunch of uh, boots there, a couple activations. It was it was a good time, dude. But it was in Adelanto, which sucks. For those <laughs> who are wondering what Adelanto is, think of your, your, the main city you're at. And then two hours in the middle of nowhere, two and a half hours of drive in the middle of nowhere. And, and we've what... all been there. There's there's something going on in Atalanta where they're just not as stringent as other places. So somehow there's a lot of weed events out they, there. They need the money, bro. Look, I yeah. lived in California. I lived in L.A. my whole life, bro. And I've never thought of or been to Atalanta until we... <laughs> Weed brought me to Adelanto. I used to drive by it, dude, just going to Vegas. But now you just, oh, there it is, dude. I've had lots of fun in that random ass city. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ha I have a theory that uh, a lot of the trends in cannabis strains and a lot of the hype and, you know, well-deserved hype in cannabis has started at these events because you really do have uh, growers, connoisseurs, you have people involved on both sides of the gray line of cannabis. Um, and what really joins them all is, is a love of the culture, but also a love of quality. So in your time from the earliest events, maybe you can give us a little timeline of how those strain trends uh, developed over the course of the event. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, that's a great, that's, that's a great dude. I talk about this all the time because right now everyone got these desserts and everyone thinks they're great and delicious, but people don't know what is, what good weed is. They only know what the best they can get is. And they don't understand what's out there and having these sessions 
we were exposed to so many different cultivars. We would have growers from all over the state trying to come to this epicenter of consumers who were out there. And, you know, I hate using the term influencers, but there's people with like social media platforms that have a lot of followers that, um, you know, if they show your product back then or they would talk about it, people, you would create that hype. We could start with like the, the, the ones that we all know about, you know, the, the uh, uh, Northern Lights, the White Widows, the, the uh, uh, Romulans, the old school strains. Those are, those are like, ex- those are the real exotics now, dude. OG is like an exotic now. Cause um, <laughs> that when I started, it was, there were like land races and there were like a couple crosses, dude. But throughout time, all of a sudden we got pollen chuckers and everyone's a grower and everyone wants to cross different terpenes. Cause now we have all these flavors. People are not understanding more about the plant. So I remember going from those things and then like blue dream, was like a huge thing that everyone loved. And shout out to Blue Dream. It made a lot of people money. It, uh, yeah, introduced a lot of people to weed, dude. Normies, you know, dude. They love Blue Dream to look, this day. They don't it, know what stoners say about it. Look, it's a it's a great yielder. It's easy to grow. It tastes great. It has a cool little high to it. It's like an all-around great plant. You can't have a backlash until you're a star. <laughs> it's true. You got to have lash to have backlash. <laughs> So uh, Blue Dream started and then, you know, then everyone was starting to figure out about these flavors. And then they started and I was butt tending from like 2009 while doing these secret sessions and uh, being around growers. So then I started seeing fruit strains and all of a sudden the, the cookies, the cookies hit in like, what was that? Uh, 14 or 15 i think yeah the cookies yeah, hit the scene that. gsc man gsc over. and it was all over the forums and there was a forum cut and there was all this controversy about this one strain dude and then mm-hmm. from that one strain dude they started crossing cookies with everything because it was a hype and from cookies i guess since it was gelato marketable they started going with dessert strains dog mm-hmm. everything started cakes and and gelato ice creams and cookies mm-hmm. And everything and everyone just started to go for like what I call magazine weed or like or like post weed where it mm-hmm. looks great. It looks Purple, pretty orange it, hairs, like and, a lot of complexity. And that's what people <laughs> thought they wanted for weed, but they don't realize that that weed doesn't really get you high. I think there's also an element of like with music, the best music of all time is whatever you were listening to when you were getting high for the first time. <laughs> that's very true also. It is the best. Yeah, that's very true also. And it it, it is like, and I, I do think that it has become sort of a cultural thing now. I feel like we're the real hip hop guys now because we'll be like, you kids don't know, we used to run for the cops. We used to smoke gas. We used to do this. And I'm like, Oh, I like, still smoke gas. I didn't yeah. used to smoke gas. <laughs> yeah. I got look. I got the Ziploc special right here, bro. Look, this this is how I still get my weed. Fuck yeah, Ziploc bag. And for our Patreon <laughs> viewers, you can see this. Adam's holding up just a sack of nugs, man. Just a sack of delicious looking fucking nugs. Look, back in my day when I was getting weed, we didn't care what was on the outside of the bag. We didn't yeah. care about a fancy mylar. <laughs> we didn't care what it looked like. We don't care about the logo or the name. It was what was on the inside that yeah. counts. That's and what mattered, what was on the inside. And that still should remain, dude. You can, because yes. a lot of, that's what I'm saying. A lot of people think the best weed right now is what's the fanciest thing in the packaging, but they don't realize that what's in their shiny mylar is last year's outdoors. Yeah, but yeah, I just got some basic OG, dude. It's not even basic. Yeah. It's super gas, but I mean, mm-hmm. I can't even find this anywhere. This is like the real exotic. 
It's beautiful. And as you say, it's what's inside the bag that matters, right? And truly, that's at the heart of some reporting that I did a couple years back in which you were heavily featured. Uh, I had a run of stories on KCRW, LA's NPR station, just a couple years back. And my most celebrated piece was my first piece, and it was actually a finalist in the Associated Press Television Radio Awards. Yeah. What? Yeah, 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 dude. You're you're seriously the main character in this story. And honestly, I just re-listened to it, and you present so well. Uh, I think it just, you know, it it really does speak to what a good ambassador for cannabis you are because you're you're personable and, you know, it's like, but but you have a lot of personality too. And and the people at these events really love you. And that's what I found. Adam, the Willy Wonka of this sesh, says these events provide a service for people in need. Where there's demand, there will be supply. And no one's getting hurt in the process. I don't think they cause that big of an issue for for certain folks because we're not causing any violence. There's no trouble going on. We're just kind of our own group of people that know what we like, try to save money, and smoke the best weed. I wanted to do a story about the SESH events because ever since Prop 64, we've seen this effect that the state believes that they can charge you a 25% sales tax and that you'll, for the pleasure of coming to a dispensary, spend that extra money, right? But the truth of the matter is the 80-20 rule exists, right? Which means that roughly 80% of the cannabis is bought by 20% of the consumers, right? Because the weed market is not built on people who buy an eighth and have it sitting in their coffee table for their once a week bowl that they puff, right? It's people that buy ounces. It's people that buy quops, that buy fucking lots of volume, right? And smoke every day that drive the market. Those people were completely priced out of their consumption habits by the 25% sales tax, right? So you can't get into a dispensary and pay the prices you want. Meanwhile, the people getting dispensary licenses who are now the only ones legally allowed to sell cannabis we're not always the best growers because the state doesn't know who the best growers are. The people, the consumers, the 20% know who the best growers are, right? So you got a bunch of customers who don't want to pay higher prices. You got a bunch of farmers who can't sell their cannabis legally. And what do you get? An institution that's already existed in LA for years that's going to pick up the slack of all the dispensaries and all of the customers that are left out in the cold. And that is the sesh. An hour into the sesh, there are about 200 people browsing the aisles, smelling nugs, and filling their shopping bags. At the night's peak, an ice cream truck pulls up out front. A bunch of very high folks quickly form a line. It's definitely a great spot to sell some cones. Where there's demand, there will be supply. For KCRW, I'm Abdullah Saeed. I'm very proud of this story, Adam. and. It's especially because I don't know if NPR realizes it, but this was my own little stealth way of letting the people of Los Angeles know that there is a place where you can get cannabis where you don't have to pay the ridiculous prices, where you can actually touch and smell the buds. And those are the sessions, not just yours, but the many, many that have spawned since you started yours, right? you've really started a trend. People can go, 
to these places. And I'm very, very thankful and humbled that I got to take part in helping you spread the word about it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they are still happening uh, every day. I know they're happening every day in L.A. Don't know where else in the world, but yes. <laughs> that That is the definition of news you can use. Right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> and Adam, thank you so much for sharing all of these memories with us. I'm, I'm wondering if as we, as we uh, reach our weedy conclusion, you can leave us with a couple of just take us there to the events, some of your best memories, the moments that for you were uh, sort of defined what this cultural movement was all about. It was, it's 10 years. It's a, that's to every Sunday for like almost 10 years. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot of events and a lot of time. What I love about it is that we were able to create a safe space for like-minded individuals to just come and share a passion for something from all demographics, all walks of life, from, you know, the 21 to the 91-year-olds, moms and daughters, dads and sons, aunts and uncles, like being able to just create the space and for us to experience it in real life. I was able to host these events, you know, being able to uh, uh, shout out to Tim for, you know, making all the back end happen, but being able to host these every week and connecting with people and having the moments. I was just, it was, I was always high, dude. It was always high to know a specific moment is hard, but most recent sesh we did the, we collab with Zolympics, which was a whole award ceremony for all the best brands in California and Wiz Khalifa performed. And I was on stage, like I was on stage and I brought out Wiz Khalifa. Like I'm just a regular ass dude from the Valley who smokes weed and had a passion for it. Who the fuck would have ever thought that I'd be hosting an event for weed smokers and bringing out Wiz Khalifa, dude? Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just mind boggling to me. Like my, it's like a stoner boner moment, you know, my 15 year old <laughs> self. It's like, you know, stoner boner moments are like, are like my bucket list. It's like when you're 15, mm -hmm. you think about like, oh, I wish I would have a strain named after me. Got that. I wish I would smoke with Snoop Dogg. I would yeah, yeah. selfie with Tommy Chong. Yeah. <laughs> selfie, all those. Check, 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 dude. It's been crazy just being able to be a part of it. But um, just being able to meet everyone in real life because social, like, I want to let people know social media is not real life. Like, that is mm. not what really happens. And being able to see someone and connect with them and engage and see smiles and just being able to share we like, oh, try this. This is what I was smoking here. You could have some. And mm. just sharing those those uh, moments and creating experiences for people to talk about. And now I'm featured on a fucking podcast where you guys <laughs> talk about some great moments in weed history and <laughs> not really knowing that this whole sesh, the secret sesh, would be an actual L.A. fucking legendary story and event. Like, this is going to be talked about forever. Every single event that you've done has been a great moment in weed history. I mean, that's, you know, like we've had recurrent great moments on this show before. I don't know if we've ever had one as frequent. <laughs> this great moment happens once every week and has been going on for a decade. Wait, how many times did Bob Dylan smoke out the Beatles for the first time? <laughs> oh, it was, it was just, just the, the once. One. Yeah. Just the one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I got to, there was a lot of firsts for a lot of people. Like we were doing crazy things on stage. Like I was, so the thing that I had, I was doing was trying to keep the 
people happy and engaged and, and create an experience. So I would be on stage. I would do giveaways. I would play games. I would bring them up so we would be active. And it's not just everyone sitting in like a cuddle puddle, just fucking drooling and smoking. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get active and, and do some things and learn about each other and create like, I'll do like minute to win it games and just have trivia, do spelling bees, rock, paper, just random stoner shit that people do when they're high, just with an audience. And it was, it was just a great, yeah. it was a great moment in weed history. Fuck yeah, man. <laughs> see, you're also, your experience as a host and a broadcaster uh, just sort of clicks right here because we don't usually have the guest themselves announce the very crucial great moment in weed history and you like hit it right on the fucking head, right at the perfect time. And yeah, man, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and just for, for being the person that you are in cannabis because the world needs you you're a dear friend of ours and a dear friend of the podcast. Uh, and it just, you know, hey, man, you, you put a smile you. on my face every time I see you, which thankfully is frequently. Thank and I'm you. sure I'll see you again soon. But if you are in L.A., look up Adam. So, Adam, how can the people find you and your events? <laughs> I got AdamL.com and there I got everything. I'm on Twitch daily, dude. I stream daily. We vibe. We get high. I do these morning weed and workout routines. And now it's turned into kind of like a lifestyle. So every morning on Twitch, we, we do dabs and dumbbells. So check them out, yo. AdamIll.com. Adam, thank you so much for being on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. I feel honored. It's uh, great to be here. And I'm glad I'm a part of fucking weed history, dude. Yeah, baby. (laughs) Well, that's the show, folks. Thanks so much for listening. And if you stuck around this long, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can put five on it at greatmomentsinweedhistory.com. And that would really help us as we research, write, edit, and publish a new episode every Weedness Day. Great Moments in Weed History is written, produced, and performed by me, David Beanstock, aka Bean. Special thanks to our sponsor, PAX. Go to PAX.com and use promo code GREATMOMENTS, all one word, for a big discount at checkout.